I think there's going to be very little opposition to a federal vaping excise tax. I don't even think a lot of opposition is going to come from industry unless the federal government has a change of heart and decides to impose a punitive rate. And I, and I don't think that's very likely. So it's really important that we keep the excise tax on these lower risk products substantially less than the excise tax on, on cigarettes. Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. For many smokers, when it comes to quitting, the economic impact of daily smoking often far outweighs the overall long-term health impact, meaning the sheer cost of smoking, due mostly to government taxation, is the prime motivator to quit. So what happens when government seeks to tax vaping the same as smoking? Joining us today to discuss vaping taxes in Canada and more is Ian Irvine, Professor of Economics at the Department of Economics, Concordia University in Montreal. Ian, thanks for joining us again on RegWatch. Good to be with you. So, Ian, the federal Liberal government is promising a nationwide excise tax on vaping products in Canada. Explain that to our viewers and what all that entails. Well, um, I can explain what the federal government proposed in its April budget last year. Uh, we still have no final proposals from the federal government. Those are anticipated sometime this year. We don't know if those proposals are going to be ready for the 2022 budget or not, but we are expecting some form of proposal for an excise, federal excise tax in Canada during the uh, 2022 year. Last year, the federal government proposed uh, primarily a $1 excise tax per 10 milliliters of e-juice. It also proposed that that $1 tax would apply to any amount smaller than 10 milliliters. And that means that if you were to purchase a closed pod system of the type that goes into a jewel or a views device, even though those pods only contain one or two milliliters of e-juice, that same $1 excise levy would apply to those very small quantities. So that's basically where the proposal stands at the present time. And we're waiting for that to be fleshed out. The Department of Finance invited commentary from the public. I was one of very many people who submitted some comments in response to that invitation. And so we're now waiting to see if uh, they will uh, revise that, if they will update it in any way, if they will improve it, or, or what they will do. This is just uh, a volume tax. That is to say, putting a tax on the volume of liquid is just one way of putting uh, an excise tax in place. So if you're you know, a typical vapor, say, that uses an open system device and consumes a lot of 30 milliliter bottles, how much more overall, generally overall, would it cost for that bottle of EGs? Well, if you were consuming e-juice in an open mod slash tank system, the impact would be pretty modest, especially if you were to, or sorry, in, in, particularly if you were to vape a relatively high uh, concentration nicotine mix. Now, the highest nicotine uh, content we are permitted to have now is a 20 milligram per milliliter. Uh, prior in the early part of last year, prior to July, I think of 21, it was possible to purchase concentration levels of 50, 60 milligrams per milliliter. But Health Canada decided that that was an incentive for young people to experiment 
with e-cigarettes and get a buzz. So now the maximum permitted amount is 20 milligrams. But to get back to your question, uh, some uh, vapors like to consume a large volume of low concentration liquid and other vapors like to consume a smaller amount of high concentration liquid. So if you just have a tax on the amount of liquid, then if you don't consume very much liquid, but you consume it in a relatively highly concentrated form, then the impact of that tax is going to be a good deal less than if you're a vapor who vapes freebase uh, in particular at say uh, a three or six milligram per milliliter rather than a 20 milligram per milliliter. So it's going to vary depending upon how you like to, to vape your product. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if you go from a 50 uh, milligram per milliliter uh, salt-based nicotine vape juice and you go down to a 20, in a way, like, have they not actually kind of doubled the tax? Isn't there some form of taxation <laughs> happening there? Absolutely. Um, in a certain sense, uh, what the Health Canada regulation did was to maybe double the tax. You know, if you, if you want to get the same amount of nicotine after the new lower limit came into, in, into place and you needed to double the amount of nicotine, then uh, in theory, you would need to spend twice the uh, amount of money. So you need to buy two, two one milliliter pods rather than just one uh, milliliter pods. So in a sense, the regulation uh, involving the nicotine ceiling is like a very heavy tax uh, already. It might be de facto a uh, 100% tax for vapors who want to vape the 50 milligram concentration and they can now only vape 20. Uh, so they, they might not buy two and a half times as much, but they're certainly going to have to buy an awful lot more in order to be able to get the same, same nicotine. The concentration limit is like a tax, but we don't generate any tax revenue from it. Most taxes we don't like, but at least there is money going to the government, which can be used for productive purposes. But when you just engage in product destruction, then no tax revenue is, is generated. So uh, yeah, um, now that's probably the, just to get back to where we were a few minutes ago, that's probably the kind of tax that the government is going to introduce. It's probably going to introduce a volume tax because that's, and I say that just because that's what they um, uh, proposed in last year's budget. You could, as an alternative to that, uh, Im impose a nicotine-based tax. So if you wanted to consume uh, one pod of 20 milligrams, you would pay the same tax as if you were vaping four pods of five milligrams. So nicotine would be another tax base as an alternative to the, um, the, the volume base. The, what some people are worried about with a nicotine base is that there might be an incentive there for vendors to sell a zero nicotine content juice. And then you would have individuals buying nicotine themselves and mixing their own. And it's really much better if we don't have that situation, particularly if uh, the activity is going to be an illegal activity as well as a, a do-it-yourself activity. Nicot uh, pure nicotine is, is not something that people should really be playing around with. And so if we were to introduce a an excise tax based on the amount of nicotine, we would have to have some special treatment or some special tax 
imposed upon the zero nicotine liquid that we would be sold in order to deter individuals from playing around with with mixing their own. But either of those bases, either of those bases, uh, you know, will will do. They each have their shortcomings. It's we, we should not look for a perfect tax here. It's nice also to keep a tax system simple so that it's not too complicated for vapors to understand and it's not too complicated for uh, manufacturers and uh, vendors to implement because we don't really want to increase the uh, cost of doing business in this sector. It's uh, a lower risk product than cigarettes and we'd like to see people switching away from the high risk products towards these low risk products. So it's really better if we don't increase the cost of the cost of providing these products. Uh, another way of doing it, of course, would just be to impose a, a differential sales tax. So some of the provinces in Canada have already imposed their own uh, higher level provincial sales taxes on these products. So I think Saskatchewan is one example. British Columbia is uh, another example. They've just put um, I think in each case, they put a 20% tax on in place of the uh, 7% provincial tax. So that would be yet another way of doing it. And a final way of doing it, of course, which would be very simple for the, uh, which would be relatively simple for the producers would be just to, for the producers to declare how much nicot pure nicotine they have purchased from the suppliers of pure nicotine. And then they tell the CRA, well, this is how much nicotine we've purchased. Here are our invoices, and we'll just uh, pay you an excise duty on that basis. And then so it wouldn't really matter whether that nicotine would go into a low concentration or into a, a high concentration mix before going to the marketplace. So there are numerous ways of imposing um, you know, this, this syntax. Uh, but the, the important thing well, there are several important things quite apart from uh, main, maintaining simplicity and, and equity. And one is to respect the, um, the risk principle. And that is to say, you know, we, we impose very heavy taxes on cigarettes. And what we really would like to do is to see hardened smokers move over to low risk products. And we don't want to deter them from doing that. So it's really important that we keep the tax, the excise tax on these lower risk products substantially less than the excise tax that we have imposed on, on cigarettes. So, um, you know, that, that's, an, that's, an import, that's an important principle. Based on what the government's doing in terms of, you know, taxing all over the place, and I don't really know whether or not they're actually encouraging the switching. I mean, could you, is it fair to assume that they want people to switch over to these lower risk products? Because if they're taxing them at this level, uh, Maybe they don't. Yeah. Now, the as the proposal stood last year, it's people, it's the it's the jewel and views products that are going to be taxed most heavily, and one would hope that that inequity would be changed for the next uh, for the next proposal. In 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 addition to keeping the tax at a moderate level relative to the tax on cigarettes, it's quite important that we have a degree of federal provincial cooperation here. Federal provincial cooperation is, is always an issue in areas of joint jurisdiction in Canada. Um, I think that in the Department of Finance, they recognize that um, vaping is a lower risk activity. It's not a zero risk activity. There are risks there, but it's a much lower risk activity. And I think that in finance, they, they recognize that. But the 
a potential problem here is that if the Department of Finance at the federal level decides to adopt a relatively low tax rate, that since it's an area of joint jurisdiction with the provinces, some, some particular provinces might just come in and say, well, we don't agree with the feds. We think it's a, we think it's a higher risk activity and we're going to put a high tax rate on it. So in a sense, um, what we would, what could happen is that if the federal government recognizes low risk, we would really like the provinces to be on board with the federal government. We would like the whole system to operate harmoniously and, and not in a way that you've got some provinces uh, having one set of beliefs and behaving differently from the federal government, which has a different set of beliefs. So federal provincial cooperation is important. Now, in fairness to the provinces, um, the, the provinces uh, probably perceive the federal government as having been a little bit slow to put an excise tax in place. And they have said, well, look, there are excise taxes on on all sorts of alcohol and cigarettes. It's time we put an excise tax in place because the federal government is being a bit slow. Um, so you can understand the provinces at the same time wanting to jump in there with, with their own excise taxes. But going forward, it's going to be really important that we have the, the provinces and the federal government acting in a harmonious way here to achieve a goal which would keep the lower risk products being taxed at a lower rate and being taxed in a way that is relatively equitable across products and that isn't going to introduce uh, huge regulatory costs and behavioral costs on the part of manufacturers and vendors. When it comes to an excise tax, like is there a special burden that's on the retailer in terms of paying the tax up front on their entire inventory? Well, ultimately the consumer will pay whatever the um, the administrative burden is going to be. So I was talking from uh, I was talking with a person from industry just this morning who uh, who uh, was very enlightening for me. What they indicated was that if the um, if the tax is going to be levied on bottles, then probably what would happen, or possibly, maybe I should say, possibly what would happen is that. Um, on, on, on the cap of the bottle, you'll have a seal and there will be a stamp printed on that seal. Um, and so then if you want to, if, if an inspector wants to check that the excise tax has been paid, he or she can verify by checking the stamp on the top of the bottle. That of course involves, you know, putting a special wrap around the cap and it involves purchasing a stamp from the uh, agent who is charged with um, distributing or selling the stamps for the federal government, uh, putting that on. So you, you need to buy a new machine. You need to buy pay for each stamp. I think the stamp is just going to be five or ten cents per bottle. Uh, but you do you do need to um, you do need to adhere to the regulations. And so in a, in addition to um, the dollar uh, per ten milliliters, um, you know you have an additional small small stamp cost and then the cost of administering that. And so those costs will probably be passed on to the consumer down the road. I know that um, several retailers, when the excise tax was first mentioned, were upset because they had a certain amount of inventory and they were under the assumption that they were going to have to pay the tax up front to the government um, and then collect it back from the consumer. Is that correct? 
I don't know. Uh, I, I really can't comment on that. I don't know what they're going to do with infantry. Uh, you would like to think that when the proposal is introduced, the government will say that this proposal is going to become operative six months from today. And then the uh, manufacturers and the retailers will have time to deal with the infantry issue and whatever inventory they have left over will be small enough that it won't be too costly. But I'm just surmising here. I, I, really, uh, I really just await to see what the government is going to announce on that. So down in the States, there was a lot of talk about the Baden vape, vape tax that was just at the end of last year. And eventually that didn't go through because it, it turned out to be a bit of a political hot potato. Um, could that happen here? Is there any kind of pressure do you think that could be applied here? I, I think that there's very little opposition to, uh, I think there's going to be very little opposition to uh, a federal vaping excise tax. Um, I don't even think a lot of opposition is going to come from industry unless the federal government has a change of heart and decides to impose a punitive rate. And I, and I don't think that's very likely. I mean, that said, in the United States, if you, um, if you do a Google search and you, you type in um, taxes on vaping in US states, uh, you might be lucky and you'll get a map of the US uh, showing up and then you'll have uh, the uh, different kinds of taxes that are imposed by different states. And it's really interesting to see the enormous variety of ways in which the taxes are imposed and an enormous variety of rates as well. So some tax, some states have very low rates, some states have higher rates. Now it would be nice if we didn't have that. It would be nice if we had, as I said a, a short while ago, if we had a more uniform philosophy on this. I mean, I, you know, one one might go so far as to saying that, you know, uh, maybe what we should do is have a system where the provinces and the federal government get together and just have just have a federal tax and then have them share the revenue with the province as much as we do with the um, the cannabis tax, that's maybe hoping for too much, but that would be, that would certainly simplify the whole process. It would also simplify the process for the provinces. Now, you mentioned BC's provincial tax at 20%, and I live in British Columbia, so I pay that tax. And boy, I'll tell you, it, it makes a big <laughs> difference. And, yeah. you know, so, I mean, could we expect here, say in BC, that that tax will go away once the feds bring in theirs? I, I think it's going to be hoping for too much to expect the provinces to backpedal on what they've already done, uh, unless the federal government comes up with something very tantalizing for them. So why do you say that you don't believe it'll be a punitive tax? I'm just guessing from on the basis of the rate that the federal government chose to, to, chose to um, suggest at the last budget, $1 per 10 milliliters is not too, too much, especially if you consider it in relation to the taxes on cigarettes. So $1 per 10 milliliters, if you, if you vape uh, two milliliters, say you're, you're vaping in a, an 18 milligram um, concentration, you might uh, vape two milligrams of that per day. And so two milligrams, that's one fifth of a dollar. So that would only, that in itself would only be 20, 20 cents, 25 cents per day for a vapor. And when you consider that the cost of a pack of cigarettes is about $15, then going from 
I'm talking about an open tank system here, obviously, um, then going from, you know, a couple of dollars a day and you add another quarter onto it, it's not too much. But under the proposal, I have to say, under the proposal as it stood last year, the cost of using a views or a jewel will just skyrocket and make them much, very much uncompetitive with cigarettes because uh, prior to the, um, the, um, milligram limit being imposed, the 20 milligram limit being imposed, you were paying about $5 per pod for a jewel. Uh, views operate slightly differently. They have, a, they have a larger pod that lasts a little bit longer. Um, but given that the price of these products has not come down in any significant way since the, um, the 20 milligram limit came into being, if you really wanted 40 or 50 milligrams of nicotine and you now have to buy two pods of Juul, then rather than spending five or $6, you're spending $10 per day on smoking, on, on vaping a low risk product. So you're now within shouting distance of the price of cigarettes. You know, you, you've gone to $10 per day for consuming nicotine through a Juul, maybe a dollar or two less if you're um, consuming through a views device. But if you compare that to $15, you know, you're, 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 you're approaching it. Whereas if you use an open tank system and you've paid for your capital already and you you buy your e-juice on the, the internet or you buy it in volume at the local vape shop, you can vape for a, um, a, couple of, a couple of dollars a day. And if you add an extra 25 cents to it, then not too much is going to happen. So this is a good example of the inequity of that proposal as it pertained to containers containing less than 10 milliliters. And I, I, I really think it's, uh, it's, 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 it's extraordinarily punitive for a significant, about a third of the market. And uh, they really need to address that. Yeah, so that's what makes me wonder what the government's intention is, because clearly taxes yeah. are used as a form of behavior modification. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they could, why they could, uh, Juul, Juul is is suffering in its market share because it no longer produces, it, it no longer sells uh, flavored vapes. But um, if the the government has pushed the price as a result of the concentration limit up to ten dollars a day, and now you impose more taxes on it uh, that are going to depend upon that they're going to be the same for 10 milliliters in a bottle for an open tank system as they are for one pod, then, um, you know, where are we going? So if you're, if you consume two pods a day and that dollar is, that's another $2. So you've gone from $10 to $12. So you're even closer to the price of a pack of cigarettes. So that's a really, that's a major inequity in the, in the proposal that came out of last year. So if I was to pull out my pencil and start to do a little bit of a ledger here, let's just say, I'm a federal government that legalized vaping four years ago, but now wants to kill it, but not suffer the political consequences of having to unwind completely their own legislation. So you would cut the nicotine level in half, you would ban flavors, you would then tax the hell out of the product and make it very inconvenient to be a vapor altogether. It sounds to me like all those boxes are getting ticked. Uh, they are being ticked, yes, especially if you want to consume high concentration e-liquid uh, in pod form. But let me say that um, it's not the Department of Finance primarily that is pushing this agenda. It is Health Canada that is responsible for reducing the permitted nicotine content. It's Health Canada that's going forward with flavor bans. And I cannot but believe that it was Health Canada that... Um, 
influenced the Department of Finance to impose this punitive measure on, on the pods. And at the present time, there's much less reason to do that because the pods are not because the pods are uh, no more highly concentrated than the open systems at this point. You can have a 20 milligram open tank system, and the maximum you're permitted in, in, in a pod is 20. So really there's no reason to to put that punitive tax on every on every on every pod. So it'll be really interesting to see to see what they do. And I wouldn't be surprised if it were the case that uh, you know they were the government if they did pr pursue the proposal they made last April, it would be surprising if you didn't see legal uh, challenges to that. Now, you mentioned flavor bans. Overall, you're somebody that understands uh, this marketplace very well. What do you think of the proposed flavor ban? The likelihood of illegal activity arising when the flavor ban comes is much higher than for any of the other measures. Um, and once again, we would really like the manufacture of vaping products to be kept in the hands of professionals and licensed manufacturers. We really do not want to incentivize individuals at home um, purchasing flavoring compounds and mixing them in with their liquid because not all flavoring compounds are going to behave in a benign way once they're heated. Um, you'll have to get a chemist on to talk about that someday on your show, Brent. Um, but some, some, some of the flavors will um, become toxic if heated. Not all, but some will. It's also the case that what we will do is we will encourage uh, illegal activity in addition to a do-it-yourself uh, market here. We have a very strong illegal sector in cigarettes in Canada. Uh, I think everybody in Ottawa admits that it, the uh, percentage of the total cigarette market that is illegal is in the neighborhood of 20%. Some people say that in some regions, it's even more than that. Um, and we should say, well, if we can do that for cigarettes, um, should we not expect that there, that the same groups that are selling and producing cigarettes illegally will be equally good at producing uh, vape juice uh, illegally that will satisfy a need. And the more that this stuff goes on the street, the greater the danger is for uh, bad outcomes, as we saw with the Evali crisis uh, two years ago. You, we get we get inappropriate substances going into a mix and if it's going to be sold on the street, we don't have ways to verify that easily. And so um, I am genuinely very worried about an illegal market um, if the government decides to go ahead with uh, a flavor ban. Again, it's Health Canada that is concerned primarily with a flavor ban. Uh, they see flavors as a means of attracting youth. Um, and of course, we have um, language being used by journalists, which is not very helpful to the debate. We're, we're told that we have an epidemic of, of youth vaping, but the reality is that even with the vaping rates that we have, um, kids today are consuming a tiny fraction of the toxins that their parents were consuming as smokers back in the 1990s. My calculations uh, suggests that, suggest that uh, daily youth vapors are consuming maybe one hundredth the amount of toxins that the daily smokers were consuming. And I get that hundred number on the basis of saying, we have about 5% of youth smoking daily or almost daily. 
rather than 25% of youth smoking cigarettes. So that's five times the number. And the toxins in e-cigarettes are about um, one um, yeah, 120th. So you multiply 20 by five and you get 100. Yet we're told today that there is an epidemic. So um, we're, we're not getting the details right. So, I mean, Health Canada, though, aren't they the one agency in the government that's supposed to understand the continuum of risk and the value of moving people off smoking to vaping? Health Canada is putting um, essentially much more weight on its concern about youth vaping than it is putting on uh, the fact that 40,000 smokers are dying prematurely every day. What we're missing terribly in Canada is an education program. The vast majority of dependent, of nicotine dependent smokers do not recognize what a low risk product is. Uh, Statistics Canada does its surveys every year. And uh, if you look at the results from the Canadian Tobacco and Nicotine Survey, whether it be 2019 or 2020, and you look at the answers to the question um, that asks individuals how they perceive the dangers of e-cigarettes relative to cigarettes, and you're asked, they're much less dangerous, they're a little less dangerous, they're about the same, they're more dangerous or a lot less dangerous. The reality is that they are much less dangerous and you've got maybe one person in seven clicking the right box. It's that low, it's really, really low. And in a sense, if, if we could get the message across to smokers, look, you don't have to do this to get your nicotine hit. There are reduced risk ways of doing it. We're not proposing these as zero risk, but there are reduced risk manners of getting off combustible products because it's the combustion that kills people primarily. It's not the nicotine. Nicotine is what forms the habit and the combustion is what kills people because when you light a cigarette, you're burning it at about 700 degrees centigrade. Um, all sorts of toxins are created as a result of that combustion process. Many more and many more toxic than in aerosol. And so all, all of this really um, must all of these measures really should be accompanied by an information campaign on the part of Health Canada. And um, I find it dispiriting and disappointing that we uh, Health Canada has not been more active here. And Health Canada admits in, in its publications, well, if you switch from smoking to vaping, it is less risky, um, but we don't really know how much less risky. But we have not seen an activist program coming out of Health Canada. And it's really a shame in my opinion, because even though Health Canada is genuinely concerned about the well-being of young people, people, the people who are dying are the older people. Right? They're the ones who have been smoking for decades, and we really have no program to help them. At, you know, I shouldn't say we've no program to help them. We do have a program to help them. We don't have a, a vigorous information program designed to accompany the other measures that Health Canada has in place to discourage smoking. And that's the one big um, shortcoming, I think, in our anti-tobacco programs at the moment, but it is really critical. 